Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. And we're back with two of us again. So you've got myself, Adam Freeman, and joined by Tom Edwards. Hey, Tom. Hiya. Cool. So today we are talking about understanding your environmental impact. Um, it's something that's very close to Tom's heart. Um, and we'll discuss an article he wrote on this. But I think what brings us into um, a relevant sphere for all of us listening is that this week Salesforce um, officially announced that sustainability was going to be their fifth core value. We were going to talk about this topic anyway, but it's added a lot of context to what we're going to talk about. And it's, from what I've seen, one of the first big companies to really fully embrace this and and nail the colours to the mass. So um, I think that's great to see, isn't it, Tom, that big companies are starting to really take this sustainability environmental impact seriously, right? I think it's brilliant. I think it's the way that a lot of companies are starting to go. It's their direction of travel because it's it's the future. They've got to be seen to be taking this really seriously. Also, not just be seen to be taking it seriously, but actually taking it seriously as well, because I think it's what's going to drive a lot of business. It's going to hopefully drive a lot of consumer behavior as well on the B2C side in the future. So it's certainly important. I think it's great to see you know, big tech and a huge kudos to, to Salesforce for doing this. Now we've got a lot of people from Salesforce listen, and there's other companies that adopt this. Okay, it's just we're calling this one out because it's one we've seen um, this week. But huge kudos to them for for doing this and kind of leading the way because it will prompt conversation in other businesses. But I mean, both myself and Tom are part of the financial world. We're both qualified accountants. Don't turn off this podcast if you hear that and you know listen to that. We you know we're here to help. We are both pre-sales people, but. We've seen, Tom, in financial circles, this move towards ESG reporting, haven't we, that's emerged. And I think outside of finance, a lot of people wouldn't have come across that. So is it worth maybe unpacking what ESG means and why this might be a driver for more companies to do this kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And what does it stand for? Environmental, social... Governance? Governance, I'm going to go. I'm pretty sure it's governance. I've always focused on the environmental and the social, but no, it is governance. Environmental, social governance. (laughs) Governance, yeah. Um, and I think so we see companies talking about their black line their red line and their green line now and that is their environmental social reporting that actually a lot of companies have to do especially public listed companies they have to do this now they have to talk about their uh, impact on the environment their impact on society in their annual report to investors so what we see now is lots of companies have a rating, an ESG rating. And that will then impact all kinds of things. Lots of investment funds are now just taking the companies with the best ESG ratings. So now if if you're a financial investor, you can just invest in companies that are doing good, or at least don't have too many negative uh, unintended consequences on the environment, on society as well. Yeah, I think I think that's really important when you get kind of portfolio investments to have these kind of purpose-driven organizations in. And we we hear this a lot, right, from a lot of startups and SaaS startups, this ability to go, our profit-making purpose isn't as strong maybe as our environmental or our doing good. If we make profit as a byproduct of doing what we're actually there to do, then that's all cool too. So there's this kind of a lot of people's personal drivers. So whether you want to be environmentally sustainable, and we've seen that vegan rise and all these kind of things that support that and we'll talk more about that later but your personal beliefs and your belief system transferring into what a corporate 
belief system is and its purpose that and this is the first time that's really seems to be linking of employees actually staying somewhere and a retention factor because i believe in why my company's here and i believe that they want to do good in the world and i believe that they want to be a more sustainable business actually i don't want to go to that business because you know their cafeteria is full of plastic straws and, and plastic cutlery and that doesn't fit with my my moral compass anymore right yeah absolutely and i've you know, in pre-sales, we've got the privilege of working with so many different companies. And I've worked with uh, some of the greenest companies I've ever seen and where every single employee is absolutely behind the ethos of that company and they're behind the environmental impacts. And can you imagine if you were quite sort of conscious about your own impact, but your company had a complete disregard to the environment, that's surely going to become quite a a big factor if you've got people who are potentially looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. Does that contribute to churn if if there's a misalignment between a person's core values versus the organization's values? Yeah. And this is going to differ based on which geography you're listening to us in. There's in excess of 50 countries listening to this podcast. So huge, huge shout out to everybody. And your stance on this is going to change by by where you're based and how kind of far on on culturally your journey is towards this kind of net zero, sustainability, all these kind of things. You know, we're a very small island in the UK, um, as being Tom, and therefore I think there's a natural conscience that comes with that because we don't have infinite resources. So we kind of have to look after what we've got. But there are some countries that are way, way further ahead than, than us, right? And I think if you're working at a company that's of an international nature, actually understanding what your customer's belief system is of a culture you're going into could be really beneficial. I remember on a personal level, I remember going to see a customer and um, I, I turned up in, in my car and the sales guy turned up in his car. We turned up in two different cars and the customer said, oh, you've not come in one car, you've not, you know, car share. And that really hit home for me that did they have, you know, some belief that actually we should be looking after our carbon footprint, we should be sharing cars. It was absolutely impossible to do that. But did they mean, should we come on the train? Should we use public transport? You never know what a customer's thinking, right? When we're in sales engineering of, of, of our impact, is immediate when we turn up at their premises. Obviously, we're coming out of this COVID pandemic, hopefully, and so we've got choices to make, again, about how we work, where we work, but how we get to work as well, because with hybrid work, some people are going into the office, and so jumping back in the car, for some people, it's a completely different feeling to what it was two years ago, because, hey, someone else has got a Tesla, well, that's great. Someone else has got the internal combustion engine. Maybe their belief system is that they would like something um, that, that pollutes less. So people are making choices, aren't they? But it's having the, the backing to go and make those choices, isn't it really, Tom? Absolutely. And I think the point you made there where, you know, how are you being seen by your prospect or by your customer? Of course, that's so important to us. This is a pre-sales podcast. We're talking about pre-sales. We're talking about how do we engage with our customers you know, first and foremost, that's that's what our job is. And I'm starting to see this so much where we're working with prospective customers or existing customers who have got a big drive and a big stand around sustainability. And therefore, they're making pledges to their shareholders, to their investors, that their entire value chain and their entire supply chain is also going to adhere to the standards that they're looking for, whether that is recycling or emissions or whatever other KPIs that they're tracking. So I've seen this in some quite big RFPs that we've Mm. been responding to where there are requirements around 
understanding recycling, understanding our emissions. And that's something that they're asking of all of their vendors, be it software vendors or any other vendors or suppliers that they're working with. So for us to win business, and I think this goes for, for any organization, most likely if you're working with energy type companies, that's going to become so important to ensure that we can comply with the requirements of what our customers are asking of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is going to get really interesting when you see a, a, a company with a very strong sustainable message going up, maybe against a company that's got a very strong profit making motivation because not always the two meet. But I've got we've got to unpack one issue before we really get into this, which is there is a difference, isn't there, between sustainability and net zero and emissions and all those things. And I think sometimes in our world it gets bundled up into one big thing. So fundamentally, what's the difference, I suppose? So I'm going to put my hands up here. I'm not an expert on this. It's, it's something I care about, but there's going to be so many people out there who, who understand this better than me. But the definition, okay, this is literally a, a dictionary definition of sustainability, is the avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to main, maintain an ecological balance. So that might be things like not using so much plastic or at least single-use plastic, because then you have to make more of that using oil, which is a natural resource one day that's going to run out. So I think that's all part of sustainability. Part of that is going to be your emissions, your carbon emissions. But this is where you get this bit of an overlap. And I think there's a lot of confusion because we talk about zero emissions. Are you physically not putting out any emissions into the air? But then the other side of it is net zero emissions, which is you can put out as much emissions as you want as long as you offset it in some way. And there's been so much in the news recently around companies saying they are net zero, mm. but there's a lot of ambiguity around that. There was, there was one particular company, I don't, I don't want to name names, but they said they were completely net zero because they were planting trees at a rate that offset the carbon that they were emitting. What they didn't say was each year those trees got cut down to make space oh. so that they could plant new trees. And being net, I've, I've read a few things, but basically say that being net neutral, net zero, isn't necessarily sustainable. Because if you're mm. emitting so much and you've got to plant so many trees, we're going to run out of space <laughs> for all the trees. And it's therefore not sustainable because well, you can't I'm do it forever. An amazing stat that someone told me who works in kind of, you know, fleet management in terms of, of cars. I remember them saying to me, um, you know, obviously Tesla and battery power is, is on the rise and it's more accessible than ever. Mm. Someone said actually 45%, and this is a stat for the UK, okay, 45% of the power that goes into that Tesla has come from fossil fuels, from burning fossil fuels to generate the electricity to go into the Tesla. So actually... Is it as green? Is just because the car's not emitting, the whole process is emitting. And I think it's important that we make that distinction between sustainability and net zero, because there are small sustainability changes we can all make that have a huge impact when we go on. So before we get into that, Tom, because we're moving from the kind of the corporate goals into more the personal arena here, you wrote a fantastic article on this and i think we should definitely unpick a little bit of this we'll put a link in the show notes as well um but on tom's um, own blog you wrote about this didn't you yeah absolutely so, so the article this was sort of seven or eight months ago 
um, and it was called Reducing the Carbon Footprint of Solutions Consultants. And it was very much focused on travel because that tends to be the biggest cause of emissions for individuals. There, well, you can calculate it in so many different ways. It depends what you're buying, what you're consuming, but, but travel is going to be a very big part of that. And the reason I wrote this article was because I, I made the terrible mistake of using an online calculator. It, it was in The Guardian. And you could basically put in, what, what flights have you done this year? And it's going to tell you what your carbon footprint is based on that. So it is purely based on flying. And in 2019, I did 24 return international trips for my job right? Which is going to be far more than the average person. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And the impact of that was absolutely horrendous. I emitted 12.9 tonnes of carbon gases, according to this calculator, which is almost three times the average person. How did that make you feel? So, you know, at that point, when you saw that number, did did it sink in? Because I'm hearing top on it, and I'm thinking... To me, is that good? Is that bad? I mean, you just quantified it. But when you were sat there doing the calculation, what did that make you feel as an individual? I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified. Because also, if you look, like we, we live in the Western world where people do travel, people do fly to go on holidays. There's lots of countries in the world where people don't necessarily have the, the luxury to fly. And obviously, as a result, their carbon footprint's going to be so much lower than ours. So if you look at it compared to the average globally, it's absolutely awful. Even when you compare it with the average just to an average Joe in the UK, it's still really, really bad. So I, I couldn't believe what an impact that was having. And, and that was all work-related travel. And that's, that's where the challenge is, isn't it? It's as an individual, you might have goals, you might have ideas of what you want to do in terms of the environment, but it doesn't necessarily fit in with your job and sort of the company that you're working for. That's always going to be a challenge, I think. And I think that those kind of stats will change over time. I mean, pretty much most of the major airlines I've seen recently launching deals on sustainable fuel. So they're all moving mm-hmm. away from your traditional, I guess I'm not an expert in this area in any way, even though I have taken <laughs> a few private flying lessons inspired by Peter Cohen. But um, a move towards sustainable aviation fuel is a big step right? Because there's only so much you can do there. And sometimes you need to travel and sometimes you need to do these things. And it's, I suppose, making us, they're, they're differentiating from other airlines when I said, hey, if you do need to take this journey, at least take it in a sustainable manner where we're using fuel now, you know, the, the whys and wherefores of that are to be debated. But I think there's definitely a move, even in industries that are seen as a typical drag factor on these environmental issues, there's a move towards sustainability in those industries as well. So, it was interesting to hear how you felt about that because obviously you can't expect your company to pay to offset that necessarily or you know where that where no. you're a profit making business so you as an individual have to carry that can and do something about it right so um did did it change your behaviors do you think calculating your impact well so actually from a personal standpoint yeah i stopped eating meat seriously right um which is huge but it's so negligible when you compare it with that number of flights. So I did 24 flights in 2019. If you take just 10 return flights, you're in the top 1% of wow. emitters as individuals. So 
I I don't have the stats, but I'm going to be in a very, very, very small <laughs> high percentage, perhaps 0.4, 0.5% of, of emitters. And, and anyone else in the pre-sales world who does that level of travel, it's pretty bad. But I did change a lot, but it wasn't because of what I read. It's Of course, it was because of the pandemic. Suddenly, all business travel stopped. And I think in 2019, I've very much had the view, and I think a lot of other people have the view, that to win deals as a pre-sales professional, you've got to build relationships. You've got to be on site with people. You've got to take them out for lunch. You've got to shake their hand. That's how you build a relationship and people buy from people. That is absolutely the view that I had in 2019. And I think when COVID hit, the world stops. No one did any business travel. I haven't been on a business trip since, what, February 2020. Um, but we're still successful. We're, we're still selling. We're still making agreements with other organizations. We're building relationships by having video conversations. Right now, even for this podcast, we're not even in the same room. We're doing this through video conferencing. So we can do so much and build so many relationships without necessarily being in the same room. And I just wonder how that's going to change the way that we do business when we're completely out of the pandemic. Will we ever go back to that peak? Well, I think what's interesting, so you've got in your article that you know the average solution consultant has two and a half times the average carbon footprint. So even calculating your own, do you know what? You can go and calculate your own, but we're kind of giving you a, 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 a free pass here that it's going to be a lot higher than the average the average person. So we have, I suppose, a long-term responsibility to look at how we work, where we work, and if we do need to go, how we go, um, because we have a bigger than normal environmental impact. Because do you know what? Like you say, the basics of pre-sales work, get in front of people and build relationships. And that's the bit, I'm not going to lie, that's the bit of the job I love. I love being in front of somebody. I love connecting with them. I love getting to know them. I do miss being in front of people as much, but I see the environmental impact. And I was already thinking, well, could I take the train to that, to, you know, to, to that customer? But I know in the UK, it's so expensive to do that compared to going in the car or, or even flying domestically. So there are choices to be made for sure as we come out of this pandemic. So um, how can people go and calculate their own um, carbon footprint, Tom? So, so there's a couple of ways. The the one that I, the way that I did for this article, um, it was a calculator on the Guardian. It was specifically looking at flights, working out your carbon footprint there. Um, but actually, since I wrote that, I came across the WWF footprint calculator, and this is pretty broad in scope. It looks at your carbon footprint in terms of your home. Are you using renewables? The food that you're eating. Are you eating basically? dairy and red meat, travel, and actually consuming things. So buying clothes, buying electronics. And uh, that I feel has been really, really comprehensive. So perhaps we can put a, a link to that in the show notes as well. That's the WWF footprint calculator. I think we should definitely do it. And um, what I'd really encourage people to do, we always encourage people to drop us messages. Drop us a message on this. If you've done a similar thing to what Tom's done, if you've assessed your environmental impact, or you've looked at sustainability, because we're talking about greenhouse gases again, but your sustainability. So I'm going to ask you a question here, Tom, and I'm I'm keen to get your, your opinions. I could see how we could be net zero as a solution consultant, because you're right. I could not change my ways, 
I could drive around in a big 56-litre car and I could just, to satisfy my conscience, go and plant a field full of trees and there's companies that can do that for me, right? So I, I could effectively become net zero if I wanted to overnight. Um, how realistic is it for an individual person, an individual SC, to become more sustainable? Because I'm going to give you a scenario here. I'm not going to see the customer, but what I'm going to do is go to London to go into the office, be with my team, have a team day in the office. A lot of people are doing that right now. Mm, Yeah. Okay. I wake up, I drive to the train station because I've made the very sensible choice to get on the train because that emits the the least amount of gases, okay? So I've driven to the station, paid for parking. I've got the train down to London. I've then taken the tube or a bus, because that's better than jumping in a taxi. Um, I've got to the office, but on the way, I've nipped to a coffee shop and bought a coffee in a disposable cup. I bought a bottle of water for the train, and then I got one when I got to London, so I've got two plastic bottles hanging around. Um, I've charged my electronics on the train and at home to kind of keep myself entertained. Realistically, how easy is it for us as a profession to be sustainable? Honestly, <laughs> I think That's it's a tough hard. one, right? <laughs> I, I think it's it's really hard, and I'm I'm not an expert on it, but it's something I care about at least. Yeah. And there, there's so many small things that you can do, but often I think it's it's the it's the big things. It's it's the big things like flying that are going to make such a huge difference compared to the little things. But I I do still try and do the little things. So I'll tell you what I used to do. Um, this is back when I was going into the office consistently, I had uh, one of these foldable coffee cups mm. and they collapse down and they can go in your, your case. And uh, I used to go into Waitrose every morning on, on the walk to the train station and you used to be able to get a free cup of coffee with a purchase. So I would buy my banana for 35p, <laughs> get a free cup of coffee <laughs> in, my, in my foldable cup, drink that cup of coffee on the way to the office, uh, sorry, on the way to the tube station. By the time I've got to the tube, I finished it and I collapsed my cup up. Little things like that. Yeah. I I feel like they might make a difference, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't know. Is that just something that's making me feel like I'm doing something? Well, I, th- I, I think it's a sustainability I, I factor. I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I've got one of those collapsible cups. I keep actually two of them in my <laughs> in my laptop bag. I keep one in my travel bag that anyone who's in pre has got a travel bag, right? Like, yeah, mine's yeah, not yeah. been opened in like two years, but I've still got the travel bag. Um, and I keep a collapsible cup in there. I keep a reusable water bottle in there. Um, I move to even going into my meetings, I take my reusable water bottle with me. Um, customer will invariably have cups that you can use if you go to a customer site. But you know, I, I do try and make these these choices. Um, and I think if everyone listening to the show did little things like this, that's going to have a huge impact. I mean, um, my wife, when she travels and if she's got a straw, she'll carry one of those metal straws that you can buy as well. So she's not taking a, you know, a straw if she goes out somewhere. So I think we can all make these little choices that have a big impact on sustainability for sure. Um, and that's something I'd encourage you. So Going back to what I was saying is, if you've made these choices and you've got suggestions, share them with us because we're kind of doing what we did with the VR episode last week, right? We're genuinely interested in this. And what we want to do is provoke a conversation in the industry of, listen, we can't go on working as we were as they exit this pandemic of flying everywhere and taking the easy choice. Sometimes we've maybe got to make a decision. And if you are going to fly, could that be offset? You know, and could we do things? Mm -hmm. And can we fly in an island that's maybe sustainable, Jack Fuel? I know there's a cost implication. So this is where I'm kind of going to kind of 
bring a new idea into this. If you're an individual who's maybe at a smaller company, okay, so you're not at one of the you know the tech giants where it's a core value, but you're at a smaller company where we've just got to pay the bills and we've got to get going and we're a startup and we're burning cash, but we're we're going for it. How feasible is it for an individual to be supported by their organization to make these sustainable or environmental choices? Because like I say, I could go to Manchester Airport and fly to London for a quarter of the price is to get the train. And that's that might be a UK-specific tr- thing. But I know, for example, in the US, the train system isn't as good as it's a domestic flight there over a long-distance train mm. journey. So it's the same problem. How realistic is it for us on an individual level to make these choices all the time? I, yeah, I, I, I think it's hard, isn't it? What I think I'll be very interested to see is where companies end up going. Because lots of companies do, um, like, donation matching if, mm. if you're contributing to a charity they they will match it surely the next logical step is for them to agree to offset things like your business travel mm. in terms of whether that is planting trees or doing it in another form of offsetting that allows you or perhaps at least contributes partially a bit like a bit like matching charity contributions mm. if that's something that's really important to to the individual i wonder mm. if more companies We'll start going down that route. Mm, Tell you what, though, I think. Go on, sorry. No, I was uh, was just going to say our new office that um, we've built, um, and people may have seen me share this on LinkedIn, but basically, kind of when it was built, there was a massive sustainability angle to the actual building. So there's obviously the solar panels on the roof. There's a lot of it's self-sufficient as a as a building. So there's the living roof, and there's all the insulation provided by living um, living components and things. So I think. As new buildings and as companies grow, I think there is a natural tendency to try and do good. Um, and I love seeing that yeah. come through. I'm loving seeing more and more people talking about this. I think on an individual level, like you say, whether, I mean, I'll be honest, I probably couldn't make that step toward, towards vegan. I get it. And I understand why I, I probably would would struggle. Um, my wife's brother did do that. Um, he made that choice and he you know, kind of took that step as you have, but it's, there's choices to be made, isn't there, on a personal level? I think that's what we're trying to say here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the big thing that will help drive this is in pre-sales, I think the way that we do business really is mm. changing. I've got a quick stat for you here, Adam. Um, Oliver Wyman, this was I mean, this is a little bit older now. This is at the end of 2020. So after about nine months of the, the pandemic, they did a survey for business travelers, business leaders that basically said, can you develop a new relationship via video conferencing? And can you manage an existing relationship? Only 19% of people thought they couldn't develop a new relationship wow. virtually. Only 11% of them thought they couldn't maintain a relationship virtually. And I think this also really ties into, we spoke a few weeks ago about the hybrid demo. When yeah. should you go to an office, to, to a prospect site or a customer site to do a demonstration, when should you do it remotely? Um, actually, I've been working on a couple of big, big opportunities recently, and we have taken the decision to run these big meetings remotely because not every single one of our stakeholders is going to be in the same room on the client site. We could have got you know six people on our side all to fly in to travel mm. to that prospect's offices 
but we've decided not to because a few of their stakeholders are going to be remote. We want to make sure it's the best experience for them doing it remotely so they can see everything clearly, they can hear everything clearly. But the byproduct of that, of course, is we're not having six people fly internationally. Mm. So I think these two things are very much going to go hand in hand. The focus on sustainability, net neutrality versus new ways of doing business. We've proven that we can work very efficiently, very effectively as pre-sales people, but also just building business relationships completely virtually over the last couple of years. I think people have got very, very skilled in that ability to be remote. We've just done it for two years. You know, we've got through, we're, we're going through the other side. We've honed our skills at being remote monsters of our craft. You know, we've we've become yeah. specialists. And actually, I would ask the question, if you just jump back to an in-person demo, would you be as effective as you were two years ago? Because you're not, you, you've lost some of the skills that go with that, right? Like how you hold your hands, how you position your body, you know, the fact that you have to wear trousers and not just turn up in shorts, right? All these little <laughs> things that come together yeah. that you, you, but in seriously, you've got to think about how skilled would you be in front of a customer right now when you've not done it in two years. So in the way we had to grow into the pandemic, we've kind of got to grow out of it. And that's why we're having this conversation now. We've got to adapt the way we work and optimize the way we work for this new hybrid way of working. And if there's an environmental uplift as a part of that that's awesome that's brilliant but i think just having the back of your head we wanted to provoke a conversation within the profession of what's our environmental impact because on average pre-pandemic we were two and a half percent two and a half times sorry worse than the average person in the street so we do have to do something we have to think about it i think naturally i think the tools that we've got our disposal now are so much better than they were even two years ago there are things we can do remotely that you couldn't do in person and you think how powerful it is just to record a meeting now and then be able to share it after the meeting. We, we can't do that in person. So there are advantages of being remote um, that I think people have leveraged. Um, and it's maybe we have to go with, well, how do buyers want to buy? We have to go back to that. Do, do buyers want us there? Do they not want us there? That's going to be the interesting thing for me, that as a level of mobility and an ability returns to travel, do we do that again? Or do we see customers going, no, no, don't worry. We've bought software the last few years. It's fine. Do it remotely. I think that's where we'll see people's hand getting forced of what the buyer actually wants in this um, and going with that. So, Tom, I think we should put the links to the things we've mentioned here. So the calculators, the articles, things like that into the show notes. I'd encourage you to just drop us a message. Let us know what choices are you making? Have you gone through a similar exercise to Tom over the last couple of years? Have a debate with us, join us. And if you want to join us on a future episode and talk about what you've done, absolutely brilliant because we'd love to do that. So, Tom, great conversation as ever. Um, Thanks for your insights. So um, with that said and done, we'll close out this episode. So we'll see you all later. Take care. See you later. 